Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. This episode is sponsored by HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. You're listening to Nakedly Examined Music, a podcast about songs and songwriters. My name is Mark Linsenmeyer. My guest for episode 197 is Bonjo Yabingi Noah, the leader, percussionist, chanter for African Head Charge. You're listening to Stepani's theme from their first album, 1981's My Life in a Hole in the Ground. The band is a partnership with the British producer Adrian Sherwood, where they bring in lots of guest musicians. Before that, he started in the 70s as a percussionist playing numerous sessions. He was a drummer with the reggae band Creation Rebel until he became a band leader, fronting his own reggae outfit as Noah House of Dread for an album and a single in 1980, and then starting African Head Charge, which has now had more than 20 releases. The most recent being a trip to Bogatanga. From this year, we're going to discuss the track Microdosing, and we'll look back to their last album, Voodoo of the God Sent from 2011. The song is Fear of a Man God, and look all the way back to 1990 from the album Songs of Praise, which seems like it might be their most popular album. The song is called Orderliness, Godliness, Discipline, and Dignity. We're also going to talk about Children of Misery, a track by Noah House of Dread from that one album, Heart, 1980. We'll conclude by listening to A Bad Attitude, also from that new album. For more information, look up African Head Charge or Noah House of Dread on bandcamp.com. For more about this podcast, see nakedlyexaminedmusic.com or to support the effort, go to patreon.com slash nakedlyexaminedmusic, which will get you ad-free episodes and my detailed episode notes with song breakdowns. So I will have played a little bit of, uh, is it Stebeni's theme? Stebeni's theme. From My Life in a Hole in the Ground, 1981, to orient people yeah. as to where you started. Although I understand that you were, what, for another five years before that, you were in a in Creation Rebel? Yes. Was that the first sort of professional thing that, you know, just being a percussionist in somebody else's band? Is that how you... No, I've, I've done a lot of session work with many different people. I'm from Desmond Decker, the foundations, and so forth. So that's going back to about when? 75 or so. It's from Delinja, working with a band called Freedom Fighter, where I met Charlie Muscom, the drummer from Creation Rebel. He was playing in both bands, Creation Rebel and Freedom Fighter. That time, Delinja had a hit song called I Have Cocaine Running Around My Brain. You know, it was a hit song. And, okay. um, and we were like session musicians. So while I was doing session, that's when I met um, Foxy Drummy, who was working with Creation Rebel. So he brought me over to Creation Rebel, really. He's him, the drummer from Creation Rebel. And as far as you leading the band, was it Noah's House of Dread actually started first? While I was in Creation Rebel, when the bass player, Lizard, when he, he died, then I decided to record an um, album under that name, Noah House of Dread. I want to get soon to the new thing. Can you say a little about where you're at right now with African Head Charge and the new album before we hear Microdosing? Yeah, well, right now is the first album we've done for 12 years. You know, the last one was Voodoo of the God Sent, yes? Mm -hmm. And then we haven't done one until now. All that happened was um, I was in Ghana for all that time. You know, I have a family there, children, grandchildren and all that there. So uh, Ghana is like my, my home as well. Apart from Jamaica, I came to London. Then from here, I went to Ghana. And so while I was there, we have the lockdown and all that kind of thing was going on. I couldn't come back. So I, I decided, okay, you know, by then I was, um, I was rehearsing and playing with some different drummers and learning their kind of drumming. So I, I decided to go in the studio with some drummer and do some drumming and some chanting. Doing that, I, let, I told Adrian what I was doing and he suggested that I should um, collaborate with a guy called King Isoba. Mm-hmm 
who is the king of the Kologo music in, in Bolgatanga, which is west, north of Ghana. So I went to Bolgatanga and I spent some time there. I got to know King Isoba and then I went to the studio and do two tracks. And the other tracks, I did it in Accra with the Ga drummers. You know, it's a different tribe. They call Ga. So this song, Microdosing, that we're about to hear, is that the Kologo doing the lead stringed instrument or is that something else? Microdosing is a different thing. I'm talking about what kick-started this new uh, trip to Bolgatanga. When I went to Ghana and I went to Bolgatanga. Sure. Any introductory words before we hear Microdosing about that track in particular, what we're hearing? It's obviously very percussion-oriented, like the fact that you've got a repeating little lead string thing is sort of, to me, sounds like just an excuse to to focus on this really cool uh, percussion bed. Yeah, microdosing is like, um, is a song that if you have a problem and you listen to it, you can put into a meditation and that meditation can get you out of that stress situation or whatever. So that's what that is. It's like a medicine. That music is like medicine. Like some people take drugs or drink mm-hmm. or do other things to de-stress them. That microdosing is a music that if somebody play that song and just relax, it clears your head. You don't have to drink or take drugs or anything. You just sit down, close your eyes and listen to it. And the more you listen to it, is the more it kind of relaxes you. And it can heal. That music is a healing music, microdosing.
Can you tell me a little about the choice of that initial, how many, I saw in your, uh, a recent, well, it was 2017, a live show where it seems like you generally have you and two other percussionists on stage here. What are we actually hearing in microdosing that initial, is that two or three hand percussionists? Yes. Well, so what's happening, a lot of time I double track and the, the percussion. Mm-hmm. You know, like you're in the studio, you put one thing down and they listen, then you put another thing on top of it and, and, and double track. So also that drumming is, is what I do, but I just keep double tracking. So it sounds like three people or even four people. So on this one in particular, though, is this mostly conga? What, what drums are, it seems like we have more than one type of drum. That song is, we did it in Accra, and those are the ga, the drummers from the ga. And what is the, the lead string instrument there then, if that's not the colongo? The lead string instrument. That instrument is like a xylophone, you know, like a xylophone. Is it that the xylophone player is playing with you the whole song, or is it just you capture him doing a couple measures and then that's looped? And because it sounds like it's the same exact. Yes. Well, you know, when Adrian get it, he just loop it. How do you and Adrian work together? Do you, I mean, you just send him 50 tracks worth of stuff and then he just comes back and just sort of decides. Yes. And this album, as I said, I was in Ghana. I went in and I, I do most of the, pr- the production, like the drumming and. Mm-hmm. The chanting that you're hearing and the xylophone thing that you hear and certain things. And then I send it to him, you know, and then he did the rest. So anytime there's a jump, jump, you know, or one of these kind of echoing anything, that's just all post-production. That's Yes, that's what Asian is. So this song is what, three and three quarter minutes long. Is that what you send him or did you send him, here's us jamming for 10 minutes? Normally I'll send longer. But he, he would sit down because of, I mean, if you're doing an album and you're going to put a certain amount of songs in it, then you can't really play the length that I've sent him. Mm-hmm. You know, so normally we'll play it for at least um, seven, eight minutes or even more. Okay. It's a trip. It is not just, it doesn't sound like, maybe thanks to the production, just this is a drum circle jam session. It sounds like this is going somewhere. And a lot of the way that that happens is by having the percussion go away for a while, by having that the xylophone be there and then go away and come back and adding the extra thing. So it seems like you're giving him this great textured thing and then he's crafting that into the particular story that's going to be told on this record. Yes, I just send him the certain things and then he, he, he adds certain other things to it. So then if you're going to play this live... Do you then sort of learn it back off of the recording? The keyboard player will do that. We'll get him to either sample it and play it so it can sound exactly as it sounds on the record. Okay. Yeah, I noticed in that live show that you had some of those extra things that would jump out in the mix that, you know, if you wouldn't really expect if you were, unless that was a planned effect, you know, we're going to roll, we're going to start the tape here, basically. We're going to do a live thing that's over a tape loop or something. What happened is we got everything there. And I said, the keyboard player will take it into his um, computer or whatever. And then he play it over, over what we're doing so that it can sound exactly like it is on the record. Because the thing is, even the drumming, sometimes we have about six, seven different types of drumming on it. But we can't really bring six, seven drummers live on stage. So sometimes some of the drumming, we have to put it in the machine. You know, where we put some in. Because at, at the moment, sometimes we have three Congo drummers on stage. Sometimes it's three, but more time it's two of us. You know, so anything that's missing, then we can add it to the, the machine. All right. And just to get a little more specific about, so there is at least two hand drums. And then is there there's something that sort of sounds like castanets in this song? Do you know what I'm talking about? Which instrument is that? It's, you know, in Ghana, they have different things that they use. Yeah, I can't even remember the name of it. The, the guy just came with it and he played it. I thought, wow. He just cool. had a, a, his bucket of percussion. Yeah, I, 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 I've worked with percussionists like that that just have a bunch of... <laughs> Let me play one little... We'll see how well you can hear this through the mic. So this is 37 seconds in where this keyboard comes in. So this little wacka 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 wacka. So that's all added in post that by Adrian. You know, we bring different musicians in, and they uh-huh. have something like that in it. When I bring it here, 
we sit down and listen to what we've done. I was saying, yeah, we go to the studio, sit down and listen to it. And then we decide, shall we bring Skip in, you know, or shall we bring in the keyboard player that we're working with? Just like we'll bring in Doug with Malishan bass or whatever. All right. So what you're originally doing in the original is purely percussion. There's no pitched instruments besides this song doesn't have a drum kit on top of it. Were you sure that there was enough going on? Like you knew you wanted to... We didn't need to put anything more on it, any more drums. Let's get a second song out there. I picked one off of that previous album, Voodoo of the God Sent, the, the closing track, Fear of a Man God, which I really like the percussion bed on this. This is a really thick, thick song. Any thoughts about where you were at I'm voodoo of the God and fear of a man God. That was such a long time. That's more than 12, 13 <laughs> years ago. This is a just a crazy track. I mean, in both with the synthesizer sounds, all these, but, uh, but also just the percussion. There's so much extra, you know, just this big bed of stuff. Well, listen, the thing is that is a lot to do with Adrian. He will put those things inside. Oh, so even the percussion, the because it sounds like again, like you had your your bucket of percussion instruments, and let's put a let's put a you know yeah, because most of the percussion now I will play it and then I go back and play something else. So when it comes to the percussion part of things, I'm responsible for all of that. But some of the other things, we both come together, listen, and decide this is what we're gonna do. Yeah, so if you're sitting in front of the, you know, you have your bed that you recorded and you're going to use that, I guess, is that always the starting point? Like with this song, do you recall that it was still just like microdosing? You starting with some kind of percussion thing and then, okay, what are we going to do with this? That's the starting point. Normally everything starts from the percussion. So I would say 95% of things that we do is led by the percussion, starts everything, and then we build it and then build. We put on bass, then we put on different things and we put that's how we work, really. The percussion is the more or less main thing for African Head Charge. Yeah, I mean, that seems so freeing in terms of chords that you're not really thinking in terms of chords. Is that something, traditional African music, I assume that's not <laughs> chordal. I mean, is this approach sort of taking from that tradition or is this just the way that you were doing it for this? Because I know that reggae songs still start with chords. It's not... Yes, yes. Most of it is, is our feel. Mm-hmm. Is a feeling. Sometimes we don't have any, we don't even know what we're going to do. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? We just go there and we, we just get a feeling and we just put it in and it works. So we say, yeah, that's, you know what I mean? We, it's not like you sit down and write a song or something like that. Sure. It's never been like that, you know? We lay the percussion down and then we build the percussion up and then we start adding things. <laughs>
In this case, we've got a vocal theme here. Actually, let me just insert it here. So it's just this repeating call and response thing. Was that a pre-existing sample? How did that bit come about? Do you recall? That one is a sample. Okay. And are these things Adrian is digging up or are you going through old? Sometimes we listen to different samples and we decide, yeah, this one will, will suit this. I mean, in this case, it's the title of the song. It's the main thing that probably listeners are, are going to focus on because it's a little hard to, to focus on a particular bizarre synth swoop or a lawnmower sound or, or a, a percussion track. So, I mean, does that create any problems? Like, do you know where this came from? Do you have to say, oh, it's a sample, so it's co-written by whoever did the original sample? Like, are... I can't remember who did those samples, but uh, we, we know it. That sample is taken from somewhere. I can't remember. Because, you know, Adrian did a lot of um, samplers. We used to do a lot of sampling before, although we're cutting down on that now. And we're doing natural chanting now. Most of the things that we're doing now, especially on the new album, there's not a lot of samplers in this one. It's like we're moving from one stage to another. You know, at first it was mainly percussion, lots of percussion, and then samplers. You know, like Songs of Praise album, especially, you know, there's a lot of sampling going on. Right. And some of it very, I mean, we'll hear one in a, in a minute here, but, you know, you can even hear the record scratch noises that, you know, the fact that like it sounds very sampled. What about that? Uh, we played a little bit of Stabani's theme at the beginning. Was that someone you actually found to sing this line or was that also a sample? No, I tell you what happened. No, that's a singing line. What happened? I went in the studio in Berry Street, and I had a friend. She was a friend of mine. She's from um, South Africa, Zimbabwe, one of those African countries. And we were moving together as friends. And then I started to play a rhythm, a beat. And she, she recognized the beat that in uh, where she comes from, they play that beat, and this is the song that they sing to this beat. So while I'm playing it, she didn't pick up a mic or we didn't set up no mic for her. She just stand over where I'm, I'm, I'm playing it. And she started to sing, and I started to say, and I was just repeating what she says. She said, and I'm saying, you know, so it was like, call it a jam. It's like a jamming, really. We didn't plan anything like that. Do you actually even know what she was saying? What the translation is? When I asked her, she said, in um, Zimbabwe, children sing that song. So they call it Child's Play. All right. So then back to fear of a, of a man god, you have that fear of a man god, and then they say something in response. Do you even know what that is? <laughs> what they're saying and what language it is I in? I can't remember that track, to tell you the truth. I can't remember it. Fear so of this a is not god. one that you've pulled out to do live since then? No. There's so much songs. We know, we, I've never done a lot of those songs live. I think on that album, the only song I do live is the Te 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 Tamla. Because I've, don't forget, I've done a 10, 11 albums, 12 or whatever. So I can only do certain amount of things. So I'll choose that song from that album. Well, and do you make space in the live set to have some that are improvised either for that show or for that tour that, you know, I have these guys together on stage and we're just going to write something no 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 what i do i have songs that i like more than some mm -hmm. and and that, those are the ones that i usually bring together and sometimes i have so many we have so many songs that sometimes it's not easy i have to be dropping some songs and and putting new songs in as well last week i visited by myself my aged father in south carolina and was charged with making sure that he ate things now, he is a picky eater, very health conscious. So what did I do? HelloFresh, which provides farm-to-table quality with seasonal ingredients. They're picked at peak ripeness, and they get to your table within seven days for fresh flavor in every bite. The pre-portioned ingredients make it easy to get cooking quick, and I was able to make the cranberry thyme chicken with roasted broccoli, carrots, and onions quickly and with very little effort. And because I'm making this myself, not just ordering out, I could put in less salt. I could add extra broccoli that I had on hand. HelloFresh is 25% less expensive than takeout and also less expensive than grocery shopping and, of course, more convenient. 
Every week, HelloFresh has 40 recipes. There are always going to be multiple veggie and pescatarian options. There's always going to be something new to you. Like, for instance, they've just introduced new snack items. You could add, like, a s'mores bundle to your order. They've also added some entertaining options, like a bratwurst bar with various fancy toppings, or they have a snack board with pretzel bites, spiced bar nuts, and hot honey peach jam. Go to HelloFresh.com slash NEM16 and use the code NEM16 for 16 free meals plus free shipping. That's HelloFresh.com slash NEM16. Use code NEM16 for 16 meals plus free shipping. HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. We're excited to feature a really funny podcast, perfect for anyone who hates censorship, called Bandcamp, B-A-N-N-E-D, hosted by the hilarious duo of Jennifer and Dan. Bandcamp is a comedy podcast where they read banned books and try to figure out why they were banned in the first place. This season, they're reading Harper Lee's classic To Kill a Mockingbird, one chapter at a time, out loud. If you think banning books is a slippery slope towards a not-so-great future, then Bandcamp is definitely the podcast for you. Whether you're like Jennifer and curious to read the book for the first time, or like Dan and a little too lazy to read it yourself, you'll love Bandcamp. It's a funny show and a great concept. So don't miss out on this one-of-a-kind podcast. Look for Bandcamp, that's band with two N's, on your favorite podcast player and subscribe today. Let's get banned together. Well, let's get one out from Songs of Praise, 1990. Was this, it looks like on Spotify that this is played more than other things. Was this a commercial high point for you? This around late 80s, early 90s? The song is Orderliness, Godliness, Discipline, and Dignity. Yeah, we, we used to do that live, but after a while, we couldn't do it because we don't have enough time to do it, you know? So we, we had to take it out, put different ones in. There's a lot of songs like that, you know? We don't have enough time to play all of them. Sure. Before folks hear the song, can you characterize a little where you were at in back in 1990 when this was going on in terms of your collaboration and how you were recording there? Because we got a lot of guitars in this one. We got three different guitars yes. and this, uh, this sample at the beginning and this vocal lecture, I guess, that sounds very evidently off an LP. That's another sample. You know, as I said, in those times, we used to use a lot of samples. Mm-hmm. As I said, Adrian had a lot of sample from uh, this person, somebody called Lomax. Lomax went through Africa and make a lot of tapes of different chants all over. I think Bobby Marshall's mother, there's a guy called Bobby Marshall, his mom, they went. So, and Adrian knows Bobby Marshall and his mother, some another Collins. But she had a lot of uh, things that they went around Africa and collect a lot of chanting and all that kind of thing. So in those days, that's what we were doing. We were taking a lot of chanting from her and had it to our rhythms.
Another very conga-oriented tune. Do you remember, is this just you double-tracking yourself, or is this you sort of with your live co-percussionists? That one is, is live percussion. You know, all the percussion that's, that you hear in African Charles, they're all live. We never sample any, any percussion. All the percussions are live. But the chanting, as I said, is it, on that track, it was um, sample. I'm wondering, even, do you recall... Because it sounds very song-like, that sa- that particular sample, if that was sample that he then pitched so it actually sounded like singing and sounded at that rhythmic, or like that's just how the sample was. I think that's how the sample was. And it's just, it fit in with the rhythm. The way it fits, you know, it fits with what was happening. Well, yeah. I mean, it's, it fits so well that I'm wondering, so in this case, was the sample first and you're jamming against the sample? We do everything first. And then find a sample that will fit it. Sometimes we will listen to different samples and say, yeah, yeah, that one. Let's use that one. And is it the same guitar player doing all the different parts on this? Do you remember who you were playing with? Skip is the one that plays a lot of the guitar and most of us. Okay, so he's the guy who's still playing with you now. No, not right now. Skip have a thing called um, Little Axe. That's his own project. You know, we all have our own project, you know, and sometimes we work on other people's things. Like with um, Dump Syndicate, sometimes I, they, they want some person, they'll call me, you know, and if I, if I have a kind of drumming that I want to do, when Scotty, when Star Scott was alive, then he said, yeah, Scott, come and do it. You know, we work, we support each other's project. Sure. Because at first, Af- African Child was mainly really a project that we just, me and Adrian go in the studio and start laying down some percussion and then start adding things, you know what I mean? Calling other people. Just like how they would call me and um, singers and players, or they would call me and, and whatever a new sound is doing, and they call me. So we all support each other and, uh, and our things. So in this case, I mean, this is mostly just sitting on one chord. Did you have in mind, like this bass part? Is that also skipped? Do you remember? Or is this a different, uh, a different yeah. bass part? And, and then when it comes to some bass line as well, sometimes we'll just go in there. You know, sometimes you can just hear something naturally. You can just hear some beats of things going on and you just, the right thing just come. And once it fits, then that's it. Well, that was what I was wondering is when you get skip or a bass player, somebody to come in, do you often have, for instance, in this case, a, you sort of know what the baseline is going to be in your head, or maybe Adrian's even put it down as a synth part, but you haven't, it would sound better if it was electric, or do you just let them do whatever they want? No, no. Sometimes we have an idea mm-hmm. and we'll tell you, and then he will improve on it. He will make it better than how you even thinking about it. I might be thinking something and I would say to him, most of the time, he make it better than how you were thinking. Sure. And do you remember with this one or the other ones in this era, Again, this is a pretty compact little song. It's a three minutes, 20 seconds. Was when you were laying down the percussion, would it be more typical that you would still lay down, what, nine minutes or? <laughs> Those ones, we don't really go that far. Okay, because it's not you relating to some other musicians. Yeah, we know that we're going to do five minutes. So we just do it for five minutes. Sometimes false play for 10 is a bit too long. So we know that we need five minutes. So we just play for five minutes and then we go back again and play again. Because the main thing is from you get the vibes down, you know, get the foundation of the, the track down, then we can add anything. You know, we just add things on, on top of things, on top of things. That's such an open-ended way of putting songs together. I could picture if you start with a percussion foundation, that single could be made into five different, ten different songs. Have there been multiple songs that actually are using the same basic thing but then you just take them or adrian takes them we'll play them even us you have some tracks that have the same like we have a bass drum you know the big touch drum and sometimes it will sound like another bass drum that i've played you know what i mean sometimes it could even sound like it but we still play it in the song because when we're playing it we want to enjoy the way it sounds you know what i mean ourselves we just want to enjoy it you know what i mean when we play it we listen back to it and sometimes that bass drum will sound like a different, another bass drum that I've played already somewhere. Or it might be a bit slower, or there might be a little adjustment. Sure, I guess that's the one thing that you can't fix in post, that if you don't have a good groove to start with, it's not going to get better, right? By adding more stuff that's got to be right at the beginning. That's why we concentrate on, make sure we get a good groove going. Something that's, even without the other instruments, is happening. You know, so everything that gets onto it now, 
it makes it extra. You know what I mean? When bass go on it again, it's, hey, take it to another level. When, you know, other things, it takes it to another level and it keeps going, you know? Well, so is there a lot of extra attempts that don't actually, maybe you finish recording the basic part and you're like, you know, this actually, let's put this one aside. Or if you were out in the field for this last album. Not a lot. You don't get a lot of things there. Most of what we do, it works. Yeah, particularly with this new, it was pretty quick, this trip that you went and met these other drummers. And, you know, so this was just a couple weekends of work. Is that right? Or, or was this the latest album you're talking? Yes, to collect the basic drum tracks. The, the, the latest album is some was done in Borgatanga and some was done in Accra. You know, it's, it's two different tribes, right? And they, they have a different style. And then the one in Accra, they are Ga. They have a different types of drumming. And sometimes they might even know some other drumming from Kumase, which is the Ashanti thing. So it's like three different tribes of drummers. I mean, do you feel like, you know, whether it's this project with meeting these different drummers or back in Songs of Praise where you're going through these different chants, these sample chants, like, do you feel like you're in part presenting this like a museum piece? Like this is, you know, I remember when David Byrne did his first album of Latin music, he was very deliberate about oh, and this is a tango, and this is a samba, and this is, or do you really care about this as sort of an educational thing? You just want good grooves wherever you're finding them. When we go in the studio, sometimes it's vibes. You know, you go in and you, because it's always good to start with, with something. Sometimes it's one drum. You just start somewhere, and then you just build on top of it. The way we work is, is very simple. I don't sit down and say, we're going to write this or write that or whatever. You know, we build the foundation and build it up and make it it's like building a house it's build a foundation then you build the walls and then you put roof on and then you to me that's how I look at making music it's like cooking food you start with have a foundation of things that like you cook in the peas and then you start putting the onions and the tomato and, the, and whatever and then in the end something comes from that when you're trying to work with these different drummers from different tribes, these rhythms that you're not used to, do you sort of let them start? Like, let them give the foundation? Because that's going to be something that you wouldn't have done. Normally, we work together. In this new album, we work like a drum group because I spend time with them. I'm also learning from them. Sometimes they would tell me what to play. You know what I mean? And I just have to play my part. Because of that, we can get the different, different styles. And then sometimes I had some of my style into it. You know, my style may, mainly is the Pocominia and the Nyabingi type of music. That's why I specialize in that. But at the same time, I learned to, to play different styles as well. And then I had oh, what I've grown up with onto it. So that's why you find different types of drumming. It's like a family of drumming put together. You get to cross-pollinate with these different traditions. Are you purposefully trying to get people from different traditions together so that they're also infusing? Or, or you're just going like in microdosing? It sounds like you were work with people in a specific area. You weren't trying to bring somebody along with you to... Uh... I like to bring other people along with me so that, you know, to put these different styles together to see how it would work. Because even the drummer that I'm working with now, one you. I do live shows with him. You know, he, he have a completely different style from me. So by putting my style, his style together, it creates something. And if I have three drummers on stage, not talk about the kick drum, like me, one you, and another drummer, which sometimes we do that, three different drummers. It's three drummers who specialize in a certain way of playing. You know what I mean? Because some of the things that I do, I was brought up in that. You know, and some of the drumming that he does, he was brought up into that. So I can also learn that as well. And he can also learn this as well. So it's like putting all those styles together, something comes out of it. So even back when you were playing with a reggae group and you're being the added percussionist, they already have a kit player who's sort of holding down the... It seems like that style, especially if it's very slow, gives you a lot of freedom to sort of put in whatever hand drum style you wanted. And I can actually put something from my tradition or these, you know, these various traditions that you've picked up in, in a reggae song. That's different because mm -hmm. when you play with, a, with an artist or with another group, you have to play what they want. They'll tell you, uh, sometimes you listen to what they've done before and copy that. It's like when I was playing with the, the foundation, they have a song called, Why Did You Build Me Up, Build Me Up, Buttercup, Baby? There's a beat that they play 
you have to go and learn that beat and play it. Otherwise, you won't get the job. You know, when I was playing with Desmond Decker, it was the same thing. I'm a session musician. It's different from when I'm doing my own thing, which is African Etrat. You know, as a session musician, you have to play exactly what they want. All right, sometimes you can create your a bit of things on top of it. But sometimes they want a specific thing and they're paying you to do that. So you have to just do that. And that's what I, I used to do. With African HRs now, I'm free to create what I want to do, how I feel. You know, I put my feelings into it. That's the good thing about it. You know, and what I'm doing, I do my own feelings, what I feel. Let's insert Children of Misery, the opening track from the album Heart. So originally that was 1980 by Noah House of Dread. So before you actually had started African Head Charge, your first thing as a front man. But this is still basically in the reggae tradition. You know, you've got some reggae instrumentation, but it's got also has some things with, I don't know, with the mixing, with the production that sound like African Head Charge of let's just bring this random percussion hit out, make it really loud, and let's do just things in the mix and make the horns disappear and add great crazy reverb. So it's a little psychedelic still. Well, it's me. You know, it's me. I'm putting myself into it. Because I'm the Noah House of Dread really was another project, and I think maybe one day I'll do another album like that. That's, that's a different direction altogether. That's a direction that I have idea. I write some lyrics down, and I'll call a guitarist, and sit down and rehearse with him and then bring in the bass player and then we get the bass line and then we say, okay, we'll go to the studio and do it. That's a different thing altogether. We actually sit down, there's some lyrics that I've written down and I just go and sing it to them and we find the chords and key that's in and so forth and rehearse it. So that's a different approach.
we got a little longer here. This was almost seven minutes, but about half of that is this doing things with the mix, just letting it go on a little longer. You know, this, the song has already established itself by three minutes. You've got all the parts out there, but you give it a little time to breathe. Do you remember? <laughs> I know this is so long ago. Any of the decision making in, in recording this? Yes, yes. Because the thing is, at that time, you know, instrumental, our dub then is what we, in fact, you could say the dub thing really as a live thing. We can take credit that we started the whole thing. I mean, Creation Rebel, the band, Sean Rebel. So we were more into, all right, sing a little bit and then the rest is dub. Just like some people, they'll make a song and then they take most of the voices out. But so Creation Rebel was really a dub band. In fact, it was the first dub band that was in England here. There was no other dub band in England but Creation Rebel. You know, we didn't have any singer in the band or anything like that. Well, we had people in the band could sing, but it wasn't really happening. So we were back people like Prince Farai, and we were like a backing band. That means we were playing instrumental for the DJs or for the singers. And sometimes when we're not backing any singers or our DJs, we do our own thing. And sometimes the thing that we're doing is the song them that we've been playing for these singers, but we do it in a dub style. So I carry that with me same way when I went to do No House of Dread. So that's why you find Noah's House of Dread, you find a lot of dub sectionism. And was this Noah's House of Dread album a recording project that you got people together for that? Or did you actually get a live band together and this is just the record of that live band? And together and then going to the studio and do it. And in fact, the way Noah's House of Dread was done, the first one, we did everything right away, live. Everything live. If you're listening here, here I'm saying rolling, I'm even saying change and, you know, we did it live. Like, just like rehearsal, we just go. It's not like most recording, you go in and you double track and you listen that. We did no also data. We, we did everything live, really. Apart from when I'm going to put the percussion on. Yes, because this still has the very active, is it just congas or congas and bongos? I mean, it's something that this is kind of why I was thinking this about reggae before, because the band is doing their normal reggae thing. But then you add all this extra frenetic energy from your own hand percussion. I'm really a percussionist, really. You know, the vocals is something that's added to it. I'm really known and I'm all over as a percussionist before vocal comes in. So when I did No House of Dread, yes, um, I wrote certain lyrics like Wicked Kingdom and Stand Firm and all that kind of thing. But at the same time, we still like to bring the dub part of it. Sure. I mean, in doing this song live, would you just get somebody else to do those percussion because you want to run around with your microphone? I saw, at least in the recent live show, it was sort of, you're either doing percussion or vocals. There, it wasn't really no, both. I do both. I do both. Okay. I'm chanting and playing the percussion at the same time. And yeah, Sure, yes. Chanting, I guess, is a different thing than doing a, being a front man. I'll be singing, chanting. I use the word chanting, really. Because I never see myself as a singer. I say I'm chanting and playing the percussion at the same time. Yes, that's what I'll do live. But if I'm recording, because recording now also dread, I do all the chanting. Then when all is done, then I go and play percussion over that. Whether it's tambourine or percussion or whether it's percussion. That is what I would double track. Or, or the horns. The horns is another instrument that I would double track. Because after we've done everything, then I'll go away and I see some horn players. And I say, yeah, come on, hear this and very, very practicing it. And then we just go in the studio and put the answer. So those are the instruments that we, we will double track. And the almonds as well. You, you know what I mean? But the foundation of the song is laid on one time. The drum, bass, guitar, keyboard, however, you know, that is laid on live. That's why the No Also Dread album sound the way it does. That's how the, the Jamaicans used to record at one time. When they was just using four track, everything would go down one one time. Could only have a four track machine or a two track machine or whatever. Yeah, I was wondering with this children misery. I mean, given that you have got so all the horns are to one track, and it's you and the backing singers are all to the backing singers. All that come after go home and then bring the the woman in and say, hey, let's listen and practice it and and do it. So those are what we would overdub. So you were not using a four track, or at least you could dub, you know, bounce from one to another if you were. No, no, no. We have a proper studio, but somehow it just happened like that. I didn't think of anything. I just went in. And I, in fact, I felt good doing it that way because it was like live. And somehow I always feel when you, when you do certain things live, it just become, 
there's something when, when you do it live. There's something about it. Well, and it's a very different if it's a bunch of studio musicians or even your band. You said this is a live band. Had you been playing this song, Children of Misery, for six months already with them or for, no, you know, at least. No, 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 no. I tell you something. This is the truth. I call the musicians them together. We have one rehearsal. Okay, all right. <laughs> There's just one rehearsal of, of the album that I plan to do, right? Just like we're going to do a live show. Yeah. So you're still discovering things. It's an exciting time to record. I mean, either you want it to be really early or you want it to be really seasoned. The sort of in-between, that's maybe when it is at not as time, good. At that time, that's how it's done. After that, I, I start to do things different. Because I think that was my first production, uh, my first time going to be a uh, lead something, you know, to be the front man of something. So as I said, it went like that for the first time. You know, after that, when I did the next No House of Dread, I actually did it with a bigger production. Go back in and double track and... You know, things like that. Mm -hmm. But the first one was like, and the whole album was recorded in one day, in that same evening. Ah, okay. Yes, one time. Well, then I would think, so the mixing then probably took as long as the recording then, if you're... Er yeah, everything was done one time. Because at that time, I mean, I was taking the whole thing serious. This was going to be going to be the band, right? But you hadn't even thought of African Head Charge. So this was going to be your, your future. I was thinking about African Etihad. I was thinking of, he said, creating a breakdown because the, the bass player died, right? And after that, I wanted to do something else. But I really wanted to do something that is me, something that I wrote and I create myself. Because I've been, even though I'm working with the band and I'm doing things, I was always writing things down. Like, oh, listen, last year, I make a feel this way and stand firm, nobody make nobody fool you. And Children of Misery and all this. I was always writing. I'm, I'm like that. I write like a poem. Like people write poem. You know, I'm, I'm a person. Right. I'm always writing lyrics. And then after I write the lyrics, then I try to get melody for it. Try to chant it with a melody. Does a lot of this effort, a significant portion of this effort, actually end up on whether the, an African Head Charge album or I saw you had a solo album I was listening to from 2010 or something like that? That sounds a little bit like a return to this style from Noah's House of Dread. Or is there just notebook after notebook of things that are not, have never made it onto recordings at this point? I still have a lot of lyrics. You know, I've got, you know, I never stop writing lyrics down. And I still have a lot. So when the time comes, some of those lyrics will fit into some beats that I've done. That's with African Head Charge. And some of it might fit into, no, I'm actually going to some rehearsal as well with some African Head Charge things. We're evolving then, you know. It's not all of them that's made the same way. Yeah, you have some tracks that will be, I will sit down and write down, call, skip or something like that. And listen, I'm singing this and then we play with him to match it and all that kind of thing. With African Head Charge, there's not a lot of that. As I said, we just lay the beats down, double track on it, build it up into something. Sometimes even we might put a bass line on it or might not, you know, and then just keep adding things to it and then it becomes something. All right, well, to wrap up here, let's just introduce A Bad Attitude. I know this is the single that you're pushing right now. Well, A Bad Attitude is something that me and, is done by me and King Isoba. Yes, and we've done that in Ghana, you know, you know. So that's still you reading the poem at the beginning, right? And then he has some other vocal stuff as well as his. And some percussion inside as well. And then King Isoba, he did, well, he, he more take the lead on that song because uh, I just wanted to add something else with African. That's what I'm saying, it's evolving. You know, maybe the next album I do, I will collaborate with another person. You know, because I, I like doing that. If I see somebody and he's doing something and it suits what I'm doing and we can come to an agreement, then we'll do it. That's moving forward. You know, cause we're going from one stage to another. So this is the next stage, having another artist involved with what we're doing. He's from Ghana, whereas the other... And he's from Bogotanga. The album trip to Bolgatanga because I've got two person from Bolgatanga playing and it. I've got a, there's a girl singing on, on it and um, playing percussion as well, and then King Isoba as well. So it's like we have two and couple of percussionists from Bolgatanga as well, and the other songs we have a couple of percussionists 
from they are from a different tribe, from Ga. Well, thanks so much for sharing this all with us. I really enjoyed listening through your catalog, especially the new album. You know, with headphones is even better, but such a, a great groove foundation, even without all the, the Adrian's craziness. But it's it's such a great combination you guys have. Thank you very much. Yes. Yeah, man. A bad attitude is like a flat tire. You can't go anywhere until you change it. Thanks so much to Bonjo. It's definitely a completely new kind of music for me. Although the psychedelic angle gave me some inroads, according to some of their literature, the band was inspired by a comment of Brian Eno's in the late 70s saying that there needs to be a psychedelic Africana. So here we go. I also could not resist putting in a reggae song as we haven't had an actual reggae artist on this podcast before. So lots of fun. Look up African Head Charge on Bandcamp. All the albums are super listenable, great background music, great dance music, and they're a killer live band. I will link to some concert footage from the blog post associated with this at nakedlyexaminedmusic.com. And as always, I want to point you to patreon.com slash nakedlyexaminedmusic, or if you're using Apple Podcasts to listen to the Nakedly Examined Music feed, you can just click the subscribe button and you'll get 
ad-free versions of everything, a little bit of extra footage, and you will know that you are contributing to help keep this podcast happening. Hope your summer is going well. I've taken a little break from recording as I've done some traveling. I do have one in the can from Chris Stamey that you'll hear next, and another couple scheduled before the end of the summer. So we'll see whether I can actually stay on the one every two weeks posting or whether we have to put a rerun in there somewhere. But in any case, I am enthused about continuing to do this. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, keep on music in. This is Mark Linsenmeyer signing off. Bye.